What's up everybody, GenX Dividend Investor here. In this video, I tell you which of the 28 dividend stocks in my portfolio are cheap, reasonably priced, or expensive right now. And if you're new to my channel and want to see all my dividend stocks in my Fidelity account, then watch a video I did last month called My Dividend Portfolio, $120,000 of Dividends Per Year. Now, if you want to jump straight to my stocks, then use the timestamp on screen, but I recommend you keep watching. Okay, and when I say cheap, I also mean that I'd be happy to buy more at today's prices when looking at price in isolation. Reasonable means I'd be happy to dollar cost average into them, but I'd need to think harder about investing a large lump sum. And expensive sometimes means I'd shy away from investing at this time. But that reminds me of something that Warren Buffett once said about the late great Charlie Munger, who unfortunately just passed on. Warren said that Charlie Munger told him to forget what you know about buying fair businesses at wonderful prices, and instead buy wonderful businesses at fair prices. So the way I think about that is the better the business, the more I'd be fine to lump sum larger amounts at reasonable prices, rather than wait for cheap. In fact, I'd even be willing to invest in a great company when it was expensive if I thought its long-term growth trajectory made the premium price worth it. And to figure out what something is worth, I go through a process to estimate its intrinsic value so that I can make more informed trading decisions aligned to my investment objectives. In this video, I'll share my one-year price targets based on what I calculate intrinsic values are in the future, and I do that so you can sanity check my estimates against professionals whose targets are one year out as well. That being said, the reality is that stock prices often don't match their intrinsic value and instead just trend towards them, and companies can be underpriced or overpriced for literally years, which is a very important concept to understand in investing, and so I'll elaborate on that near the end of this video. What that also means is that I might say a stock is cheap, even if it's at a 52-week high, or I might say it's still expensive even after a crash. And I know that some of you don't care what analysts say because they're often biased or whatever, but every human is biased, including me, and I want you to know what their estimates are. Anyway, once you value a stock, you can use that info as one input criteria in terms of if you want to buy, sell, or hold. I tend to be a buy and hold investor, so I usually won't even sell if something is expensive. And I understand that if I'm investing into something when it's overpriced, then I'm probably impacting my return potential, but I also know that the market is irrational and some overpriced things can continue to remain overpriced for over a decade. In this video, if I say it's cheap, then I mean that its one-year intrinsic value is more than 10% above today's price, i.e. I believe the stock price should trend up. If I say it's expensive, then my calculated one-year intrinsic value is 5% or more lower than today's price, i.e. the stock price should trend down. And I call it reasonable if it's priced between the cheap and expensive bounds. For example, let's say a stock is at 100 bucks today. If my calculated one-year intrinsic value is at $110 or more for that stock, then I'd say it's cheap right now. If my one-year value was less than $95, then I'd say it was expensive right now. And if it's between those two amounts, I'd call it reasonable. I'm comfortable with those ranges and definitions, but if you wanted a larger margin of safety, then you could become more conservative with things. Like cheap for you might be if your one-year intrinsic value was more than 20% above today's price, or whatever you like. And note, each of my 28 tickers is anywhere from 1% to 7% of my portfolio, and you can watch my previous videos for specifics. Also, this isn't a stock analysis video, and I'm not going to be sharing all the risks and pros and cons and such. I'll just touch on a few things here and there, but always do a much more rigorous due diligence before you ever invest. Okay, and with that out of the way, my first dividend ticker alphabetically is Apple, and I calculate that it's expensive, as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is about 8% less than today's price. But I differ with analysts who have a one-year target price for Apple at almost $196, which is 3% above today's price. Apple pays a low 0.51% yield, has a nice 15% payout ratio, a 5-year dividend CAGR of only 6.2% per seeking alpha, and has a decent 12 consecutive years of dividend increases. Apple is a great company and is a cash cow, so I hold it as part of the tech part of my portfolio, as well as to enable some growth, but I've been disappointed as they've continually had less focus on growing their dividends since 2019. Okay, and after Apple is AbbVie, and I calculate that it's cheap, as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is about 12% above today's price, and analysts are even more bullish as their one-year price estimate is 21% above today's price. 
So I'm betting AbbVie will still be able to grow, even though right now they're having some challenges. AbbVie pays a nice 4.47% yield, has a good 50% payout ratio, a great 10.5% five-year dividend CAGR, and it has an amazing 51 consecutive years of dividend increases. Next is British American Tobacco, my first non-US stock, in which I calculate is cheap, as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is materially above today's price, and analysts are also bullish, though less so than me. Anything in the tobacco sector faces big headwinds from increased regulations and outright bans, so a big question will be how fast they can pivot to less unhealthy products as their runway continually diminishes. I wouldn't invest in tobacco stocks if I were younger, but as a retired person I still feel comfortable holding them for income. BTI has a large 8.79% yield, has a low 2.5% dividend CAGR, and it has 22 consecutive years of dividend increases in its native British currency. Next up is Caterpillar, and I calculated that it's cheap, as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is about 25% above today's price, but analysts are less bullish as their one-year price estimate is 12% above today's price. Cat pays a low 2.1% yield, has a great 25% payout ratio, has a solid 8.8% five-year dividend CAGR, and has an awesome 30 consecutive years of dividend increases. Next up is Colgate Palmolive, and I calculate that it's expensive, as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is about 16% below today's price, but analysts are more bullish as their one-year price estimate is 5% above today's price. CL pays a low 2.48% yield, has an OK 61% payout ratio, a low 2.9% five-year dividend CAGR, and has an amazing 60 consecutive years of dividend increases. Next up is Chevron, and I calculate that it's cheap, as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is about 38% above today's price, and analysts are less bullish as their one-year price estimate is 25% above today's price. CVX pays a nice 4.17% yield, has a good 43% payout ratio, a decent 6.2% five-year dividend CAGR, and has an excellent 36 consecutive years of dividend increases. Oil companies tend to have lots of volatility, with large swings happening for a bunch of reasons as you've probably noticed over the last few years, so I wouldn't put too much weight on future estimates. Anyway, I'm betting oil will be around for the rest of my life, and I'm fine holding some as a retired person living on dividends, though I can see how lots of the world is continually making more inroads with renewables. I don't own any oil stocks in my kids' portfolios, though since they'll eventually inherit my stocks, then I'm confident they'll do fine regardless of how energy evolves. Next up in my portfolio is Devo, which is a covered call ETF, and I didn't calculate a price target for it, though analysts are bullish with their target being over 11% higher than it is today. Devo has a solid 4.8% yield and a low 2.6% dividend CAGR, and is one of those ETFs that I'd be happy to grow larger in my portfolio, especially as a retiree who's focused more on income. Long term I'd bet that most covered call ETFs will underperform the market, thus Devo isn't something I'd advocate for a younger person's portfolio, regardless of how it's done in the last few years. Next is Duke Energy, and I calculate that its current price is reasonable, as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is about the same price it is today, though analysts are a bit more bullish as their one-year price estimate is 5% above today's price. Duke pays a nice 4.52% yield, has a payout ratio that's getting up there at 78%, has a low 2.2% five-year dividend CAGR, and a good 19 consecutive years of dividend increases. Utilities are a sector that I'm avoiding in my kids' portfolios. Okay, and then the ninth of 28 tickers I own is Enterprise Products Partners, an MLP that I calculate is cheap, as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is about 31% above today's price, but analysts are less bullish as their one-year price estimate is 19% above today's price. EPD pays a large 7.48% yield, a low 2.9% five-year dividend CAGR, and has an awesome 25 consecutive years of dividend increases. Next up is Goldman Sachs, which I calculate is cheap, as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is about 24% above today's price, and analysts are also bullish as their one-year price estimate is about 16% above today's price. GS pays an OK 3.24% yield, has a solid 50% payout ratio, a huge 27% five-year dividend CAGR, and an OK 11 consecutive years of dividend increases. Financial stocks can get on really shaky grounds as the overall economy shifts, so it may help to be extra prudent if we officially go into a recession. 
Next up for me is Home Depot, and I calculate that it's expensive, as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is about 12% lower than today's price, but analysts are bullish as their one-year price estimate is about 7% above today's price. Home Depot pays a low 2.69% yield, has a good 46% payout ratio, an awesome 15.5% five-year dividend CAGR, and an okay 13 consecutive years of dividend increases. Next up is another covered call ETF I own in JeffQ, and I didn't calculate a price target for it, though analysts are bullish with their target being 8.5% higher than it is today. JEPQ is a huge 10.8% yield right now, but I'd expect it to settle down in the 8% range, and it's an ETF that I'm fine to own as part of my income strategy as a reasonably sized position. Next up is a classic dividend investor stock in J&J, and I calculate that it's cheap right now as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is over 11% higher than today's price, similar to analysts that are also bullish as their one-year price estimate is about 13% above today's price. J&J yields an okay 3.12%, it has a good 44% payout ratio, a decent 5.8% five-year dividend CAGR, and has an incredible 61 consecutive years of dividend increases. J&J has some pain with some lawsuits, and the recent Kenview spinoff also added some volatility. But they're my favorite long-term healthcare investment, and are the fourth largest position in my portfolio, with Realty Income and SDHD being my top positions. Next in my alphabetical list of tickers is Kimberly-Clark, which I calculate as expensive as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is 6% lower than today's price, unlike analysts that are more bullish as their one-year price estimate is 3% above today's price. KMB pays an okay 3.86% yield, has a 71% payout ratio, a low 3.4% five-year dividend CAGR, and has an incredible 50 consecutive years of dividend increases. After KMB is another classic dividend investor stock in Coca-Cola, which I calculate as expensive as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is 6% lower than today's price, unlike analysts that are more bullish as their one-year price estimate is almost 9% above today's price. KO pays an okay 3.14% yield, has a 69% payout ratio, a low 3.4% five-year dividend CAGR, and has an astounding 60 consecutive years of dividend increases. Next up is another classic in McDonald's, which I calculate as expensive as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is 22% lower than today's price, unlike analysts that are bullish as their one-year price estimate is almost 10% above today's price. McDonald pays a low 2.36% yield, has a nice 53% payout ratio, a good 8.5% five-year dividend CAGR, and has an awesome 45 consecutive years of dividend increases. Next, I'm long in another well-known dividend stock in Altria, ticker MO, which I calculate as cheap as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is materially higher than today's price, unlike analysts that are less bullish as their one-year price estimate is only about 8% above today's price. MO pays a huge 8.27% yield, has a 77% payout ratio, which is normally high, but it's fine for them, and it has a solid 5.9% five-year dividend CAGR and an amazing 53 consecutive years of dividend increases. Altria has the normal concerns that tobacco stocks have, and declining volumes coupled with pricing, which is at high levels, further pushes their needs to pivot to less unhealthy alternatives. Definitely some big risks to consider. After MO is a great growth company, but it's not a classic dividend stock in Microsoft, which I calculate as expensive as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is much lower than today's price, unlike analysts that are more bullish as their one-year price estimate is almost 9% above today's price. Now, the reality is that companies like Microsoft can keep shooting up even when they're overpriced, so take that into consideration when investing. Next up is another classic dividend stock in Realty Income, ticker O, which I calculate as cheap as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is almost 30% higher than it is today, and analysts are also bullish, though they have it about 11% higher a year out. Realty Income is a great 5.7% yield, a weak 3.7% five-year dividend CAGR, and a great 25 consecutive years of dividend increases. O is a stock I've been slowly DCing into at these low prices, and I love it when a quality company gets pushed down for various reasons as people run for the hills. I believe they'll weather the storm and will come out on the other side of these interest rates being a stronger company, and I'll have acquired more of it at cheaper prices. Of course, there are no guarantees with investing. 
Next up is my 20th of 28 tickers, and it's another fabulous dividend stock in Pepsi, which I calculate as expensive as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is about 11% lower than it is today. Unlike analysts who are bullish as they have it about 12% higher a year out. Now to be more clear, it's not that I'm not bullish on Pepsi or any of these things that I say are expensive. I'm merely saying that my calculations for what it's worth tell me that it's overpriced, but the market can obviously irrationally price things. Anyway, Pepsi is a low 2.99% yield, a decent 64% payout ratio, a nice 6.9% five-year dividend CAGR, and an incredible 50 consecutive years of dividend increases. After PEP, I have another well-known dividend stock in Procter & Gamble, which I calculate as expensive as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is about 20% lower than in today's price, unlike analysts that are bullish as their one-year price estimate is about 9% above today's price. PG has a low 2.49% yield, has a solid 60% payout ratio, a decent 5.6% five-year dividend CAGR, and has an amazing 67 consecutive years of dividend increases. After PG, I'm long Philip Morris, a sin stock that I calculate is at a reasonable price, as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is just 6% higher than today's price. Unlike analysts that are more bullish as their one-year price estimate is about 15% above today's price. PM pays a good 5.51% yield, has a payout ratio that's pushing things at 85%, has only a 2.9% five-year dividend CAGR, and has a decent 14 consecutive years of dividend increases. After PM, I've got Starbucks that I calculate is at a reasonable price, as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is about 3% lower than today's price, unlike analysts that are more bullish as their one-year price estimate is about 8% above today's price. Starbucks pays a low 2.22% yield, has a 61% payout ratio, a great 10.4% five-year dividend CAGR, and has a decent 13 consecutive years of dividend increases. Next up is a dividend ETF in SCHD, which analysts are bullish on as they estimate that it will go up 10% in the next year. It has a very high 13.69% five-year dividend CAGR that it probably won't maintain, and 11 consecutive years of dividend increases which it also probably won't maintain, yet I still value how the ETF works enough that I'm cool to hold it as a large position. After that, I've got Southern Company that I calculate as expensive, as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is about 7% lower than today's price, unlike analysts that are more bullish as their one-year price estimate is about 5% above today's price. Southern has a solid 4% yield, a payout ratio that's starting to push things at 75%, has only a 3.2% five-year dividend CAGR, but has a very nice 22 consecutive years of dividend increases. Third to last in my portfolio is Toronto Dominion Bank, a Canadian stock I hold in my retirement account that I calculate is cheap right now, as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is about 22% higher than today's price, though analysts are less bullish as their one-year price estimate is about 7% above today's price. TD has a nice 4.6% yield, a 46% payout ratio, a good 6.9% five-year dividend CAGR, and a very nice 28 consecutive years of dividend increases in Canadian currency. Now, Canada has some tricky things it's dealing with, from housing prices to debt levels, amongst other things, so make sure to invest intelligently. After TD, I hold an insurance company in Travelers, which I calculate is reasonably priced right now, as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is a bit under 10% higher than today's price, though analysts are less bullish as their one-year price estimate is about 4% above today's price. Travelers has a low 2.25% yield, a nice 41% payout ratio, an okay 5.3% five-year dividend CAGR, and a decent 17 consecutive years of dividend increases. Okay, and my final ticker is ExxonMobil, which I calculate is cheap right now, as my one-year target intrinsic value for it is almost 34% higher than today's price, and analysts are also bullish as their one-year price estimate is about 24% above today's price. XOM has a relatively low 3.6% yield, a nice 35% payout ratio, a low 2.6% five-year dividend CAGR, and an awesome 41 consecutive years of dividend increases. I really like how Exxon's management was able to continue to raise their dividend even when other oil companies around them were folding, but they, like Chevron, have its various issues and risks to be aware of. Okay, now let's switch gears and talk about intrinsic values, which I feel is crucial for all serious investors to understand. I've shared this information in the past, but it's important enough that I recommend you rewatch it whenever I go over it. Here's a picture I made to show you how stock prices and intrinsic values usually work. 
I'll explain the pick in a moment, but it's important to understand that there are lots of ways to value a stock, and one of the good ones you can usually use for dividend companies are discounted cash flows, aka DCFs. DCFs are just a way to estimate what a stock is worth today, based on how much you think it will cash flow in the future. Jimmy from Learn to Invest has some nice tutorial videos on how to calculate DCFs that I recommend you watch. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to use a DCF valuation for a company, like if it has unstable or unpredictable cash flow, or if it has some unique characteristics like banks do. Plus, your DCF calculations can vary dramatically depending on what input parameters you use, some of which can be subjective. So don't become overconfident in your estimates and don't forget to look at relative valuations of competitors. And like anything with investing, using a variety of metrics and trends and data points usually gives you more insights than relying on just one. I.e. supplementing the DCF approach with other methods is often useful to develop a better understanding of the intrinsic value of a stock. Like some companies may benefit from analyzing the price to earning trends, their price to cash flow trends, their yield trends, etc. Now, some people like to incorporate technical analysis when valuing a company, and I think that looking at market psychology and sentiment by analyzing price trends and chart patterns and such has some merit to it, but I'm more in the Buffett School of Valuation, so I don't do that. Beyond DCFs, you might want to do a dividend discount calculation, or maybe you're someone who prefers to use tools like fast graphs rather than calculate things yourself. Just remember that since the focus of DCF analysis is long-term growth, it's not an appropriate method for evaluating short-term potential. And it's important to understand that regardless of what a stock's actual intrinsic value is, the market often overprices it or underprices it, but in the long run the market gets it right as stock prices trend back to the company's actual intrinsic value. So I like to think of a stock's intrinsic value like it's gravity or it's a magnet, and it's constantly pulling its stock price back to it. This was summed up in Benjamin Graham's famous saying, which was, in the short run the market is a voting machine, but in the long run it's a weighing machine. Voting represents how people are using their dollars to either buy or sell a stock, which is why a stock's price is often a popularity contest in the short run. However, in the long run the stock price trends towards its intrinsic value, which is analogous to saying that market forces slowly, but properly, price a stock, i.e. its real value is properly weighed and thus priced by the market. In the short term, the gravity of intrinsic value can lose out to the more powerful forces like news headlines and world events and such. The market often overreacts to good news or bad news, which value investors can then capitalize on. What I mean is that people often buy or sell based on emotion rather than on business fundamentals, which is why stock prices can do seemingly crazy things in the short term. But in the long term, gravity and physics and reality wins and stock prices trend towards actual intrinsic values, which are based on business fundamentals. That concept is super critical to understand if you want to be a good investor. It helps explain why certain things can be overpriced or underpriced for years as stocks are popular or unpopular for years. But eventually, business fundamentals win. If good growth comes, eventually the stock will respond. It can take a long time for people to forget about hated stocks or beloved stocks, but eventually they do if the company performs or doesn't perform. That's why you can see a crappy stock shoot up for a while or a solid company trade in the dirt for a while. Your goal is to be able to identify when quality companies are cheap and then buy if it makes sense for you. Or perhaps sell it if things are too expensive. It all depends on you. Another gravity example I like is that dividend income is like the fuel or the thrust of your personal rocket, a rocket which is trying to break free from the gravity of your expenses. Once you have enough fuel and thrust, aka dividend income, to break free from the gravitational forces of your expenses, then you blast away from your old life on Earth and you can fly away faster and faster into space with the freedom of your time. Okay, now back to the picture. The blue line is the intrinsic value, i.e. my target price, i.e. it's a magnet or it's gravity which is trying to pull the black line, which is stock prices, towards it. In this example, you can see an intrinsic value estimation that goes up and down as time goes on and is slowly trending up like most quality companies tend to do over long periods of time. The black line, aka stock's price, tends to fluctuate wildly based on short-term news and headlines. The ideal time to buy a stock is when it's underpriced, which is represented as areas of red where the stock price fluctuates under its intrinsic value price. Now, if your strategy is to buy and hold for generations, then buying at any stock price can work out. It's just that your returns will be less than if you buy when something is on sale, and it can take materially longer for to get a good return if you just invest whenever. 
Similarly, the best time to sell is when it's overpriced, which is any period on this graph along the areas of green, because those are all times when the stock price is higher than the intrinsic value. This example chart could represent 20 years or whatever of stock prices, so you need to understand that something could be underpriced for years or overpriced for years, but stocks eventually tend to drive towards their real intrinsic values. And as earnings go up, then stock prices tend to go up, broadly speaking. And that's part of why I like stock buybacks. As shares outstanding get reduced, all remaining shareholders own more of the company. Like if there are 100 shares outstanding and I own 5 shares, then I own 5% of the company. If the company reduces the shares outstanding by 10 shares, aka 10%, then there are 90 shares outstanding. Since I still own 5 shares of it, I now own 5.55% of the company. See, as they retire shares, each of the shares effectively owns a bigger portion of the company, so each share is more valuable. And as you retire shares, then earnings per share goes up. Remember, earnings per share or EPS is an important financial measure which indicates the profitability of a company. It's calculated by dividing the company's net income by its total number of outstanding shares. So if net income stays the same but shares outstanding goes down, then EPS goes up. As EPS, aka earnings, goes up, then stock prices get pulled up by that gravitational force and usually also trend up. Companies like Apple and Microsoft do some of the largest stock buybacks every year, which is why their stock gets extra wind at their back trying to push them up. Anyway, a conclusion you should draw from this picture is that the difference between a stock's current price and its estimated intrinsic value becomes your investing opportunity, assuming you believe the intrinsic value is a good estimation. And those who do invest like this are known as value investors, since they are transacting based on some form of fundamental business analysis, which attempts to calculate a stock's intrinsic or book value. Book value and intrinsic value are two ways to measure the value of a company, and there are a number of differences between them, but basically book value is a measure of noun, intrinsic value leverages forecasted estimates of the future. And remember, this is for buy and hold investors. The day traders out there wouldn't find this useful. It also means that when I share stocks which I feel are cheap or expensive, then I think it'll just be a matter of time until they trend back to their proper intrinsic value, though I have no real expectations of price movement in the short term. And with that, I'd like to close things off, so if you appreciated this video, then please show me your support by hitting that thumbs up button, subscribing if you haven't yet, and clicking that bell notification. Now, I'd normally shout out my newest Patreon aristocrat and king signups, but I'm still all sold out. So instead, I'll recommend that you check out my Seeking Alpha affiliate link in the description of this video, as using it often has a new user sign-up bonus. I'm now sponsored by Seeking Alpha, but before that I used to pay for their premium membership because I valued the stock articles and associated comments so much, to the point that I'd literally never buy or sell a stock without first seeing what Seeking Alpha had on it. Finally, I highly recommend that you join my free Dividend Discord chat server, which has over 11,000 dividend investors on it from 76 countries around the world. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. Remember, I'm not a financial advisor, and my videos are for entertainment and inspirational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I'm only sharing my opinions with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.